And at the end of the night, the lady that I was staying with, we were staying with this couple. And of course she was Chilean. She said, Marcus, I've never heard you speak like that. You didn't just speak well tonight, but you dominated the language. I'll never forget she used the word dominated the language. And I realized it wasn't me at all. I just asked the right questions and I let the audience steal the show. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm glad you're joining us today to listen in. In today's episode, we talk with author, teacher, speaker, marketer, pool guy, Marcus Sheridan. Marcus is the founder and the personality behind The Sales Lion, a marketing and business consulting agency making a big difference in the world today. And tonight, Marcus shares with the Storytellers Network his craft, his successes, his stumbles, in other words, his story. And it's incredible. I'm telling you right now, it's worth your time. Before we do get into today's conversation, just a reminder, find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, how to contact us, and for other resources to help you tell your story. If you like what we're doing here, I'd love it if you consider leaving us a review. It helps us reach new storytellers. Thank you to Podcast Pilot and Casterly for supporting the Storytellers Network. If you want to find experts on the podcast world, like how to start your own show, talk to the teams headed up by the legendary Jamie J and Sarah Parrish. And I had to also thank my parents real quick here, Dick and Sharon, for taking a chance on sponsoring these first few episodes. Thanks, mom and dad. Now, let's get to the stories. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us on the Storytellers Network, Marcus. It's good to have you here, man. I mean, it's great to be here, and uh, it's great to be talking about a subject that that has impacted all of us. And I, you know, frankly, I've never spoken about it uh, on a podcast. So this is pretty exciting that you're doing this, Dan. Oh, nice. Well, cool. I'm glad, man. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm I'm the first time for you. Yeah, I've always thought of myself as a storyteller in some way. Um, I've always considered myself a writer in some way. So the season one, talking to writers, I'm so excited about, and obviously talking with you is a big, big deal for me. So, so very cool. One of the things that I like to start with is looking at the idea that you can be a writer and a storyteller from anywhere in the world. You know, you don't have to move to one of the big cities or whatever like this. Right. So, so tell us where you are in the world geographically right now. I live in this area called the Northern Neck of Virginia. The town's called Reedville and uh, there's two stoplights in my County. (laughs) I have to drive uh, 30 some minutes to get to the closest Walmart. I have to drive an hour and 35 minutes to get to the closest mall or shopping center. And so that's, you know, what you say is true. I am really grateful to live in this time period uh, because, you know, from this area where I am, man, everybody's pretty much farmers and fishermen. And, you know, it's very blue collar, which is great. 
which is great, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the path that was meant for me. And, uh, really it all started, you know, with, with putting my thoughts to pen or in this case to, to the internet, to the web, it really, really changed my life, man. But it's, yeah, it's funny how that works. That's cool. So you consider yourself a storyteller then from way back? I do, Dan. I, you know, I, I, not that I sat there and really proclaimed it, um, but I did clearly have a knowing that I could tell a story and communicate just better than most by the time I was 20, 21. Like it was, I could definitely tell hmm. there's something going on there. And so, yeah, since that time, um, I've just continued to obviously use the tool and try to refine it and try to try to see what makes something stick and land versus other things not. Mm, always, always learning, right? Oh yeah. No, um, I mean it's that's the that's the that's the big key, man. You, it, stagnation is a big problem for entrepreneurs, for people in general. We all got to fight against it, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like just the res, this resistance to to grow and to stretch, and it, and it takes a concerted effort. Every single day, a constant self-analysis and self-audit, you know, and, and, and as we record this, it's, it's um, you know, that time of the year to be thinking about, wow, what can I do better? What do I need to improve? All that, all those healthy questions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned, Marcus, being uh, about 20 or so and kind of figuring that out. Is that kind of where your story as a storyteller begins or does it go back before that? Yeah, it, it really begins... When I was on my mission for my church, hmm. uh, when I was 20 years old, and that was the first time, you know, I was I was thrust into an area of the world, Chile, um, the southern tip, so about the southern third of Chile is where I was, and I couldn't speak Spanish, and so it was just you're thrown in the fire, literally, and you just gotta you you learn and you burn, and so I had to teach people. And the simplest way that I could teach them was I had to teach from my own life, right? And I had to, because I didn't know the language in a complex way, uh, eventually I did, right? But at first I didn't at all. And so you got to, it's really healthy to have to teach in another language because it forces you to speak in clear, concise terms. And you quickly realize that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to say things in this incredibly detailed way or, you know, with extravagance or, you know, the, the semantics that you use, sometimes it's the magic is found in the simplicity. Usually actually that's the case. And, uh, that's, you know, that's where it was for me. And and there's just multiple examples of when I was in Chile that everything, everything changed for me. I I love how you say that, that the magic is in the simplicity. I've been, preaching that for a while myself as well. Um, as a former TV writer for teleprompters, I love that simplicity. So that's, that's cool to hear you hear that. You know, when I write, uh, an article, I'm usually most satisfied with that one line that's short and by itself. And that's, that's the one that makes me smile the most because it hits it, right? It just, it's just meant to boom. And, uh, it's oftentimes the same when I'm in front of an audience, right? It's that one line. It's not something that I've necessarily pre thought out as some tweetable moment, 
but it's just really just clear language and communication, which I think is, is beautiful. And oftentimes it's a lost art in our society today. Mm, yeah, very much so. <clears throat> now, so you, you you turned that experience in Chile into a book. Um, so yeah. you've been writing ultimate guides since 2001 <laughs> before it was a thing, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Heavenly Father's Angels, the ultimate missionary guide. Um, <laughs> that's incredible, man. What? Tell me a little bit about that. How How did that come about from that experience? Well, what happened was I realized, I guess I was... So I was in Chile for two years and about halfway through, I just came to a self-awareness that for some reason I was having more success than other people. And it wasn't, it wasn't arrogance, but I was just having more success. So I started to analyze why, because people were asking me how, right? And uh, so that's when I started to, to think, what am I doing differently? One of the things that I was doing was that I've always from a young age been bothered by when you have a, a communicator, a speaker, we'll call it a communicator, whatever, a teacher, they're saying something and the audience is hearing them, but they're not getting it. Hmm. They're glazing over. You could tell they're confused. And so when I got to Chile and I saw when I was with other missionaries and I saw them teaching, but the receiver not getting it, it, it bothered me. And so Early on, I became very obsessed with, does the person get it? And if not, do I need to rephrase it in such a way that the light bulb comes on? So I was constantly obsessed with the light bulb, right? With what, can they, what's the takeaway, right? For, for the audience. And so there was that. And then there was just um, the basic styles of communication. You know, why, why do some people endear others so quickly? whereas others uh, might turn off their audience so fast. And uh, so there was just all these amazing experiences that I had. I was walking, as, that I had there as I was, you know, walking those streets at the, uh, you know, bottom of the world where, where it just, for me, everything about teaching took on this, it's just a different light. And by the end of the mission, our our president, just call him the mission president. He had me just travel around the mission and teach the two hundred other missionaries how to be better teachers and communicators. That's all I did, and it was it was there, of course, that I knew that I was hopefully going to do that for the rest of my life. Now, as you know, I became a pool guy. I ended up becoming a pool guy for about ten years. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes you have to have a, a foundation to be able to build the house on that. Right. And so that's exactly what river pools ended up being. And then that obviously spurred eventually your, your next book, your mashable called the number one marketing book to read in 2017. They ask you answer, (laughs) which is awesome. Um, I love that you're on that journey. It's cool because you know you put it into words. You've been preaching that I was practicing it through our, our mutual teacher HubSpot. (laughs) But but you really put it into words, man. Tell me a little bit about that. How did that come about? Well, you know, in 2000, uh, for those that don't know the story very quickly, I uh, started a swimming pool company called River Pools in 2001. 
And uh, things were going okay up until 2008 when the economy collapsed and we thought we were going to lose the business. And I was a few hundred thousand dollars in debt and literally just looking at bankruptcy square in the face. And a bunch of people said that I should file bankruptcy. But if I had filed, I'd have lost my home. My two business partners would have lost their homes. My 16 employees would have lost their jobs at the time. So we had to figure out a way to get back over that edge. And that's when I started to read about inbound. And I mainly learned about it from HubSpot. So I saw all these you know, fancy phrases like inbound marketing, content marketing, digital, social. But really in my simple pool guy mind, what I heard was, okay, Marcus, if you just obsess over the questions you get every single day and you're willing to address those questions, good, bad, or ugly on your website through text and video, you just might save your business. Hmm. And so our core philosophy became they ask, you answer. And um, that's exactly what I did. I brainstormed every single question I've ever really had gotten from from a prospect or a customer. And one by one, every single night for about two years, I would write an article, a blog article, of course, and post it on the website. And about six to nine months in, Dan, I realized I was onto something. I knew, wow, this is working. And there's even patterns of success, like stuff resonates more than other stuff. And the more I became obsessed with the way that buyers think and the questions they ask, even the hard ones, the more success we had. And so... And... November of 2009, I was um, turning 32 years old. And I said, I want to give myself a, a, a birthday gift. I'm going to give myself a, a place where I can write my thoughts and feelings about business and about life. And I just felt like I was supposed to do it. And uh, I've always loved lions. They mean, the first book I ever read because I had a reading disability was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so the lion has always meant a lot to me. And Aslan, from the great character from, from that story, one of the greatest stories ever told. Sure. And so that's, I, I decided to call it the sales lion because sales sounded better than marketing or business. <laughs> and so I called it the sales lion without much thought. And I didn't realize it was going to become, uh, it was going to change my life. But because I was busy just putting my thoughts to pen, even though nobody listened for the first six to 12 months, eventually people started to, to listen. And then I, uh, you know, I started to get invited to, um, to different events where they kept saying, you know, that thing you're doing with your pool company, could you, could you share that? Or that thing you do with your pool company, could you show us how to do that? And you know what's funny, Dan? I've seen people come and go in the social media space, and a lot of them get tired of telling their story. Mm. And you know, when I'm on a podcast, oftentimes people say to me, I know you've been asked this a thousand times. Hate to ask this of you, Marcus, but could you tell that pool, like where, how this all happened for you? Could you tell the pool story? And I never get tired of telling it. Because it's who I am. And I think this is one of the great mistakes that people make is they think that if they tell a story more than once or if somebody's heard it more than once, that it's going to diminish the value. Whereas in fact, it's the opposite. I mean, if you look at every classic anything, a classic song, how many times have you listened to it, right? Mm. Um, A classic TV show. Sometimes um, I'll have people tell me, you know, Marcus, I saw you give that present, exact same presentation two other times, but it was the third time that it stuck, that it resonated, that I truly got it. And so that's when I stopped worrying about repetition because I realized the power is in the repetition. And because I've owned my story so much, I am a pool guy. <laughs> I joke about it. I laugh about it, you know, but that pool guy story has made me millions of dollars. You know, what's funny too, Dan, 
is when I started the swimming pool company in 2001, my two buddies, I was just out of college and whatnot. And this family member came up to me uh, just one night at a restaurant, ran into her and, and uh, she said, so Marcus, I, I uh, heard you want to be a pool guy. And I said, yeah, yeah. She said, what a waste. And I said, <laughs> I said what? She said, what a waste of potential. And I was so flabbergasted that I didn't even know what to say. You know, Dan, I, I, I had no idea what to say. And of course, you know, that, that pool guy story has been shared all over the world. I mean, the, the river pools example is literally taught in business schools today. Mm. And it's because of the pool guy title and story that really, really happened. <laughs> I love it. Have you, have you run into her since and just say, Hey, so <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, I have, I don't mention it. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those unspoken, you know, I was a tool, but you know, you know, that's what, that would, that's what this person was thinking, but yeah. you know, that's how it goes. People are, are people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You got You got to love them. Um, what, so as you tell that story and other stories, cause obviously you build on your story, you went from the pool guy to the sales lion guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you speak around the world. What is it about telling stories that you love so much? The power of story is that you can see it. And if you can see it, it just might stick. So we've all learned about, how we've become such this visual society. In reality, we, we've always been a very visual society. Hmm. We read books, but we're seeing the story. The authors that are our best at helping us see the story and put ourselves in the story, they create the classics, right? Um, the stuff that's built to last. And so this is the way that it's always been. And of course, if you look at the efficacy and the success of the Bible, all it is a story. That's it. That's, that's what resonates. You know, if you ask somebody what resonates out of numbers, it's a book in the Old Testament, they're going to struggle because it's a bunch of facts and figures and it doesn't resonate. Much like many PowerPoints today, if they're just graphs and charts and figures, it doesn't resonate. But if you ask somebody who doesn't even believe in the Bible to tell you the story of David and Goliath, they're probably going to tell you because they know, okay, the big guy lost to the little guy because the little guy was fast and nimble. and He created his own rules, which is probably my favorite story because it represents what's happening in the world of business and digital today, right? Mm-hmm. And all these digital Davids in a land of Goliaths who are changing the rules of their space because they're saying, well, I'm that's okay that they did it that way. And it's okay that nobody else has done it the way I'm going to do it, but that's my plan. <laughs> and that's exactly what, what, you know, I was a digital David with River and broke a ton of rules and made up a bunch of rules in the process. And, uh, but for me, it was a simple philosophy at first. I wasn't out to like break the rules. I just, most of it made sense, right? That's the beauty behind the ask you answer. And there's the ask you answer isn't new. I didn't invent it, but see, I've been talking about they ask you answer instead of content marketing. Hmm. And there's a reason why I've had success in getting buy-in from hard-headed leaders and sales members and organizations to believe in digital, believe in the power of content, 
social, etc. It's because I don't use those words. And words matter. Mm. And the way I talk about, like, just, let's, let's talk kind of marketing just for one second. So you, if you went on Wikipedia right now and you read the definition of content marketing, you'd immediately be able to tell that it was written by marketers for marketers. Okay? <laughs> when I'm in front of a CEO or leadership group, management group, I say, content marketing is your company's ability to be the best and most helpful teachers in the world at what you do. Now, would any of you like to be a better teacher to the marketplace? And everybody's going to say, well, yeah, that's important. That's important. And that's going to be important in 50 years. And so, you know, sometimes people say, well, will content marketing be around in 50 years? That's because they were given a bad definition. But if somebody said, is teaching going to be important to your business's success in 50 years? They're going to say, well, yeah, we got to teach. We got to communicate. We got to solve problems. Words matter. Words matter. And I know I'm getting a little bit off track to your original question, Dan. Oh, all right. these things to me, they kind of overlap and they, you know, they have this beautiful bridge between them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's the first time I've ever heard in a podcast somebody compare uh, numbers in the Bible to uh, PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're nobody, so right. <laughs> nobody remembers numbers and most people can't get through it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. And they can't get through PowerPoints. So totally understand. Yep. Yeah. Very powerful. Absolutely. Um, what do you think? On, on the, conversely, then, what's one of your biggest challenges when it comes to storytelling? Well, I, I think, um, so there's a couple of, of challenges that, but l- let me just phrase it this way. Hmm. Um, how do you become an elite storyteller? The challenge from going from good to great is when you involve the audience in the story. And if you're a great communicator, you say it in such a way that the audience is finishing your sentences for you. Hmm. If they're not wanting to finish your sentences, they're not walking that trail with you. Right. And so give an example. Let's say I'm speaking to an audience, right? It could be a hundred. It could be a thousand. So most people, when they tell a story, they're just going to tell a story. Me, I cannot help but to say, and of course, what did I do next? And of course, what did he say? Right? See, these are these like, and they're filling, they're, they're telling my story as I go. That's, to me, that's the highest level. Because that's when in unison, you are walking down this glorious path together, looking around, and everybody sees that vision of what's being told. And many people don't, quite reach that level. Does that make sense, Dan? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that and then that has to be a huge challenge to try and go to that that elite level and and work on that. And whether it's a presentation or it's in writing or you know any kind of storytelling, going to that elite level is a huge challenge. So that's Yeah, because you don't read much about integrating questions into story. Right. Um, oftentimes they're viewed as separate skill sets. I view them as intricately connected. Mm, very much so. Even if the audience can't call back, uh, talk back, you, you still want to be able to ask questions and give it pause, let it rest. And what do you think happened next? Mm-hmm. Right? And then let it sit so everybody can contemplate. That's another skill that, that many don't quite understand with story is the power of silence, the power of emphasis, of slowing down 
all these little elements, because you have to, if you're obsessed with your audience and what they're thinking, you know, there's times when you slow down. There's times when you speed up and there's times when they participate. And so if you can, if you can gather that balance, they just literally feel like they, they see themselves inside of what you're saying. That's mm-hmm. wonderful, man. <laughs> Beautiful sentiment, Marcus. I love that. Um, how, so, so you're talking about speaking. How did you go from writer to speaker or was the other way, other way around? How was that tied together for you? Yeah, it was the other way around. Um, for, for me, I was, I was first a, a good communicator and, and teacher and, and that helped me become a, a speaker. And then, um, and then I became a writer. And in fact, that first book I wrote in 2001 or two, and the reason why I wrote Heavenly Father's Angels was twofold. I wanted to to say, I wanted to tell the world what being a missionary had taught me and one of these other missionaries that went out to be more effective. But I also had the purpose of, I didn't know how to type. Hmm. I figured this was, I left on my mission right when the internet exploded. And so typing wasn't a major part of our lives. Like I didn't know how to type really, uh, until I was 22 years old. And that book taught me how. So that was the, that was literally the, the, the two-pronged purpose was to, to, to journal what, what I had learned as a teacher and how to be more effective. In my case, preaching the gospel, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. And then how to, uh, how to type. And then I became a pool guy. And the, the writing kind of stopped for a season. Mm-hmm. But I was speaking in a smaller scale. I was, I was selling in the home. But I started to, to feel a restlessness that I, I wanted. I, I knew I had more that needed to be shared. And so that's where that whole They Ask You Answer started. And once I started to get more of an audience, you know, if you look back at my original blog articles on Riverpool, it's really bad. <laughs> and you would say, wow, he wasn't a very good... Just like Heavenly Father's Angels, man, it's sloppy writing. It's, it's, I mean, still got a bunch of typos, bad editing. Um, it's a victory though, uh, because it was the beginning of something special for me as, as a published author. Right? I mean, that's that was cool. I was what twenty two, twenty three years old, and so it, it, it's just this great journey you know, that I've been on, and the speaking has gotten to the point now where. You know, one of the things that makes me different as a speaker is that I will go into the audience and engage them. Now, mm-hmm. Not like nobody does this, but for the most part, most don't. As you know, Dan, I mean, you've seen enough talks. Most people just give the presentation. I want the audience to walk that trail with me. And so that's why I'm going to ask them questions, engage them in what's interesting is the magic normally occurs with something that was unexpected, that was impromptu, that was what they said, right? That's cool. That's that's amazing. And that's now what I'm trying to teach people is how to do that. Because a lot of people have asked, a lot of speakers have said, how do you, how do, you do that? And so um, I even did an event in Scotland last two years called uh, WCC World Class Communication, which part of it's telling story, part of it is being able to 
be at the highest level of communication wherever you are, whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's in a sales situation, whether it's in your home with your kids, right? It's all principles. And if you get the principles and where they, where they interconnect, well, then you can, you can start to be so much more effective. You know, you got some people that are strong writers, but they're terrible on stage. Why? Like, how's that happen? I, it blows my mind. Or people that are great on stage, they can't even talk to their own kids. Mm-hmm. People that, people talk about social media all day long. And yet when they speak to an audience, they don't ask a question. That's not very social. <laughs> How's that social? Yeah. Right? Talk about engagement. I swear it kills me when I see somebody speak in quotes on engagement, <laughs> digital engagement, social media engagement for an hour and they don't ask a question to their audience. You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> to me, these are all principles that overlap. They're not separate. They're not distinguished. Yeah. That's awesome. And now that you're traveling like that, um, you know, we, we obviously know each other. So I've seen some of your social and that kind of thing. Your, your daughter travels with you. Yeah. Uh, how does that feel to see her making an impact in the world now? It's cool. She started, she traveled with me for, for um, her, one semester during her freshman year of high school. Mm. And uh, we went all over the world. And when she came back, she obviously, I, I told her, I said, this is going to be a blessing and a curse. The blessing is you're going to have a vision that's just expanded dramatically. And you're going to see the world differently. The curse is you're going to see the world differently. <laughs> And you're going to go back to school and school is going to drive you crazy because you're going to see the inefficiencies, the deficiencies, the redundancies, the lack of creativities. And you're going to say, dad, this, this is, this is terrible. And that's exactly what happened. And so, um, it wasn't, and she wasn't saying that out of like arrogance. I mean, she just was like, she, you know, we're in a small town, one school, public school. And it, you know, honestly, it doesn't have a very high bar. They're doing the best they can, hmm. but she just, it just didn't satiate her, her at that point. And so she, um, she finished school a year early and is going to college next year. Um, and she's wow. traveled, she traveled me a bunch last year and she traveled, traveled with me some this coming year because, you know, every time you do that, you can't, you can't be the same. You, you become a different person and, you know, we just watch people and we observe them. Right. And, and not in a judgmental way, but, you know, I ask a lot of questions. Why, why, why? And that's a, that's a, a mindset we have in our home that if our kids ask any question to me, oftentimes as parents, you know, we tend to want to answer quickly, but if we're really thinking at a higher level, that, the idea is that we help others, our kids, our audience, discover truths for themselves without us having to tell them first. Mm-hmm. Because if I tell you something, Dan, you don't own it for you. It's not yours. But if I help you arrive to a conclusion just by asking you questions or telling you a story that includes questions or however we do it, but if you are able to say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. So what you're telling me, Marcus, is if I just do this and then I do this, then this is going to happen. That's the moment, right? That's the light bulb moment. That's why we do it this way. That's why if we, in, if we integrate 
power of great questions with story, then they can discover truth for themselves. And so I do it with my kids, but it's no different than with them in an audience of a thousand people. Same thing. Absolutely. That's really cool. What, um, so Marcus, I, I, I want to, get back to something about storytelling that I, I want to hear from you. You mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier as one of your, you know, your favorite book is the Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. Whether it's that story or any kind of great story out there, uh, you know, fiction, uh, teaching anything, what is one word that you would use to describe the best kind of story? Mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. So when I think mesmerizing or mesmerized, it's almost like you could snap your fingers in front of somebody and and they don't even see it. They don't blink because they're so caught up in thought, right? Hmm. They're really living that scene and they don't see anything else. They're mesmerized. I think a great story. And I was, The Line of the Witch in the Wardrobe meant a lot to me because, like I said, I, I had a reading disability. I really didn't think I could get through a book. But I was so mesmerized with that story and the imagination of C.S. Lewis that I couldn't put it down. Hmm. I couldn't put it down. And it took me forever to read it because I was ding dong. <laughs> but, but eventually, of course, I did. You know, I did. And it started a chain of, of a, a love of learning and a love of reading eventually. But yeah, that's the word I would use. Mesmerizing. I like it. And then so, you know, inspiration right there is, even if you have trouble reading or, or for anybody, you know, parents of younger kids or anything, if they're having trouble, you, you've made it. You're a writer, you're a published author twice, plus the million words on the web. So it right. doesn't, doesn't have to define you at all, does it? Who oh, no, it, it clearly doesn't define us. In fact, a lot of those labels they give us when we're young are, are completely off base anyway, because it's part of this conveyor belt system where everybody is supposed to develop at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, um, it's not the way that works. I was, um, I don't know why I didn't read well. I also didn't speak well. I had, uh, had to go to speech classes when I was young. I had a huge fear of public speaking, even as a teenager, but you know, life has its funny ways, right? <laughs> and, uh, here I am today. Here I did. I, you know, I do it for a living. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of early labels. Yeah. And you, you and I are both faith guys. You, you say life's funny. I think it comes back to our faith. God's got a wicked sense of humor, doesn't he? He uses our weaknesses, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he does. And he allows it for, you know, for weak things to become strong. Hmm. And I know that I've seen that in my life again and again, you know, first time I ever gave a, a speech was when I was in 10th grade and my best friend was running for student body president. And for some reason in our in our grade, <laughs> the way it worked is the guy that was the, the person that was running for student body president would ask a friend to read a speech for them. <laughs> okay. And so my buddy writes a speech and he said, Hey man, could you read this for me? Cause I, you know, I'm running for student body president in front of the entire student body, which is probably a couple <laughs> hundred kids. And I said, yeah, man, no problem. I can read. And so as soon as I started reading, Dan, as soon as I started reading in front of this audience, like I stood up there and I started immediately just to pulsate and to feel the sweat. And I got choked up with my words and I could barely get through it. It was one page. It was probably 100, 150 words or something like that. You know, I sat down and my friend said, 
Marcus, are you okay? And I said, I am never going to speak in front of an audience again. That's literally what I said. And I was, I guess I was like 13 or 14. I can't remember exactly how old I was. And, um, and then it was funny. I started to go to church when I was 17. I did it on my own. And the particular day that I was in church, I just joined this church and they have testimony meetings each month. And this is where anybody can get up in front of the audience and share their feelings about God or whatever. And so I was sitting there and thinking to myself, man, I got all these feelings. I want to get up there and share. I'm like, no, you promised yourself you wouldn't do that. Right. (laughs) And so I'm having this inner battle with myself. And then all of a sudden I literally just, it's almost like I'm watching myself walk up to the pulpit and I just started to tell everybody about my experiences that I had had in, in joining the church and why I had done it and the impact it had on me. And then I sat down I said, Oh my goodness. I realized I, I wasn't ever going to be the same because I was telling my story, Dan. Mm-hmm. I could tell the audience was listening and it resonated. It, they were touched. They were moved. And that's really like that moment when I walked up to that pulpit, that was the moment it all began for me as a better teacher and communicator and speaker. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was 17. Wow. I love, I love hearing those kind of stories. That's man. What, um, at, at some point in the last few years here, have you looked around and kind of thought to yourself that you sort of made it without like getting stagnant, of course, but have you looked around and said, man, I really kind of think I've made it as a storyteller. Well, I think everybody's probably different with this. I've had people ask me that, um, because, you know, by this, I'm speaking to, jeez, I don't know how many thousands a year at this point, but it's a lot. And I never really stopped to think, oh, wow, I've really, I've really gone places. I, I, it's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. I do recognize that I'm fulfilling more of my mission. But I think because I have so much more mission to complete that I I definitely don't feel satisfied. I mean, I'm satisfied in some ways because very present uh, in my kids' lives. And uh, even though I do travel a lot, like I said, my, you know, one of them was always traveling with me and I'm stronger with my wife today than, you know, we were 20 years ago when we were married. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things I feel good about. So that's the stuff that I feel good about. Um, and I do feel like I'm making more impact, but you know, I've, I've come to realize that I'm not supposed to be talking just about sales and marketing. It's not, that's not what I'm supposed to be. You see, the, the mission was the bridge so much in many ways for me to, to life. And after that came River Pools. And that was the bridge to be able to talk about business and have a story that everybody could put their arms around and say, oh, dude, you heard about this pool guy, what what he did? And that, of course, became the bridge for me as a speaker speaking about sales and marketing. And in fact, at first I was just a marketing speaker and then I became a sales and marketing speaker. Mm 
And then I became a sales marketing and business speaker. And now I'm starting to teach a lot more about how to communicate on a deeper level. And of course, I'm sure I'm going to inject personal development more and more into that over, mm. over time. You know, and this is, to me, I look at the greatest storyteller that I've ever seen other than like, like, I, cause I didn't see Jesus. He was a great storyteller. That's undeniable. Mm. Whether somebody believes he was what he was, can't deny he was a great storyteller because you know, his, his, his uh, stories have lived for 2000 plus years. Mm. Jim Rohn was to me, the greatest storyteller of the last 100 years. And uh, for anybody that's never heard him, I know you have damn it. Jim R O H N Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins actually started with Jim Rohn. Everybody's heard Tony Robbins, <laughs> but uh, he started, that's who he, he, he started working for is Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn had this amazing ability to tell the same stories over and over again for what was 30 years. He told these stories and uh, I just, I was mesmerized by it, man. I, I, and and he had this amazing ability to, whether it was, he was talking to a, a, a mother of four kids or a, you know, a, a, a professional, um, didn't matter who he was talking to, man, a kid, a teenager, his stuff resonated. It landed and everybody could could get something from it. He was really, really magical. And he was one of the first ones that I really felt cross, you know, overlapped or tied together business and personal. And so you might go there wanting some, some business knowledge and you leave like wanting to change your personal life where you go to his talks and you want to, you want to change your personal life, but you leave with some amazing business ideas he had that ability, man. And, and it's just so magical. So if, if you're listening to this right now and you've never taken the time to listen to Jim Rohn, who is a masterful storyteller, please, please go to YouTube and take a moment to do it. And people probably have heard a lot of his quotes too. I mean, he was obviously as prolific of a speaker as he was and storyteller. Tons of quotes out there. Of course, we all see Facebook memes. So I'm sure, I'm sure yes. a lot of them are out there for him. So yeah, that's a oh, great tip. Oh, oh, they are. Um, they are. You gotta, you gotta learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So many, so many great ones out yeah. there that he brought. Either you run the day or the day runs you. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, what is your favorite platform in which to tell a story? I think I have the answer, but is you know, is it? Do you love? using social media, video, in-person, writing? Um, what's your favorite yeah. platform? Yeah, for me, it's, it's definitely the stage mm. where there is an audience and I can talk with them. And, and there's a reason why I like that one. Because whether it's an audience or one or an audience of many, when you tell a story the right way and you're having this moment, you can stop and reflect on the moment so that almost everybody in the room looks down upon themselves and analyzes, why do I feel this way right now? What is happening right now? And because of that, you know, I've had some really crazy experiences, Dan. Let me give you an example. I was speaking to I was speaking at a landscaping uh, convention 
over the course of two days and spoke just about business over the course of, it was, it was two days and I think four different sessions that I taught. At the end of the fourth session, this one guy, he had, I think he had come back and this was like his third or fourth time seeing me speak and they were different sessions. He comes up to me with a serious look in his face, really, really serious. And keep in mind, I've only talked about business, sales and marketing for these two days. He says, Marcus, I got a question for you. I'm hoping you might be able to help me out. I said, yeah, sure, buddy. What's up? He said, my son, he tried out for the basketball team not too long ago and he didn't make it and he got cut and he has essentially just stayed in his room since then. And I'm scared and I feel like I'm losing him. This is what he says to me, mm-hmm. right? And keep in mind, I hadn't talked about family, but something about the interaction prompted him to ask that question. And what was even more fascinating, and you know, the spirit of teaching is, is powerful. You, you know you have the spirit of teaching when, you know, some people might call it a state of flow. When you say things that you yourself didn't know. In other words, you're teaching yourself. And so when he asked me this, it's like the answer was already there. And it came from like left field, Dan. My immediate response was, so tell me, when was the last time you went on a date with your son? Mm-hmm. It was immediate. I said, when was the last time you went on a date with your son? And he said, honestly, I, I don't remember. I said, I promise you, if you take him out, you go on a date with your son, make it fun, make it cool. Just you two. Everything will change. I'm telling you, it was like all of a sudden, just this weight was off of his shoulders and you could just tell he walked out of that room with a bounce and a step. Mm. That is the fourth wall. That is that unique relationship that can be established with an audience where you break through the thing that's between you and the audience and you're able to have this reflective, powerful moment that nobody expected or could have planned. Let that just sit there for a minute with the audience and think about that. That's an incredible connection, authentic, mesmerizing connection you have with that audience. That's incredible. What, um, so I, I like to, I could talk to you all night long, but we don't have that kind of time. So I'll, I'll be respectful. Um, but I like to wrap it up with, with this question. I, I hope this is kind of my, uh, my big deal question. Um, think about this. If you, if you only had it in you to tell one last story, you only had the opportunity to tell one last story and you had to move on to something else. Hmm. What would that story be? What would it be about? What, what does that look like for you? I would be so tempted to go a few different ways, but just to stay consistent with who I've become as a communicator, 
And, you know, we've been talking about questions. So I want to tell you where that started for me, Dan. Um, and, and this was one of the great moments of my life. And, um, and just thinking about telling the story, it, it, it just puts me back in that place. So I had been in Chile for three months and I was struggling with the language bad. I was struggling so bad that I thought that I needed to go to the ear doctor and see if my ears were, my hearing was okay because I just couldn't seem to understand the people very well. And I was struggling to, to, to really put my thoughts into Spanish well. And I was just, man, I was at wit's end. And at the time I was with a Chilean companion. Okay. So usually when there's, there's always two missionaries pretty much. And I was, so I had a Chilean companion and, um, and he, and of course he spoke Spanish perfectly, right? And we had scheduled a baptism. Now, in this baptism was a unique situation because the, the person that was getting baptized, she had invited her entire family to come to this baptism, which was really exciting for us as missionaries because we were like, oh, wow, not only are we going to have a baptism, but we have all these people that are going to be watching and maybe they're going to be interested in being taught as well when, when, as they're a part of this process. And so we had our hopes up really, really high for this baptism. And so in, in Chile, how it works is you get baptized in a font and the font's like a really big bathtub. And so, because it takes a while to fill it up, you got to fill it up about two hours before the baptismal service. And so the night of the baptism arrives and there's probably about a hundred people there. It's a huge ton of people from the church and a ton of non-members of this church. They come and they're there. And uh, I'm just so excited. We're excited. And so as soon as we go to the baptismal font to do that, you got to open up the doors to the font. So we get everybody around the baptismal font and then we open up the doors. And as soon as I open up the doors, my stomach, it just sinks because the font is empty. It's empty. Mm-hmm. Somehow, somebody had pulled the plug on the font. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, it was like pure panic and shock. Now we had, there was a, a set of sister missionaries, myself and my companion. The two sister missionaries, female missionaries, they were from Chile. So they spoke Spanish. My companion who had been out as a missionary for over a year, he spoke Spanish. And there was me, the dummy. And so everybody's panicking. And all of a sudden, my companion says, what are we going to do? And the weirdest thing, craziest thing, they all three looked at me at the same time. (laughs) Almost like, Marcus, what are you going to do? And so I don't know what happened. I mean, I know what happened, but I said, okay. And I got everybody back into the chapel. And I said, everybody, we need a little bit of time to fill the font back up. And I asked a question to the audience. And so somebody started answering it. And then as that somebody started answering it, another person jumped in and started to have a conversation with that person. And then I asked another question on top of that. And then suddenly you had this powerful conversation this teaching moment that was occurring between members of the church and non-members of the church. And it was this beautiful gospel discussion that was going on. And you could feel a weight. It was like a 
powerful just aura had settled in on the room like a fireside moment you know what i mean and before i knew it my companion was waving to me from the back of the room and the font was full and it was literally like i had snapped my fingers and the baptismal service went off beautifully it was easily the most successful i'd ever had and at the end of the night the lady that i was staying with we were staying with this couple and of course she was chilean she said marcus i've never heard you speak like that you didn't just speak well tonight but you dominated the language i'll never forget she used the word dominated the language and i realized it wasn't me at all i just asked the right questions and i let the audience steal the show and because they were the they were the star right then it made for what was an unforgettable magical experience and that's the moment when i realized that it's in questions that all the answers are found and it's been the foundation of my communication since that time a great last story you gave me goosebumps there very cool, Marcus. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, uh, what moves you, everything about this whole deal um, with the Storytellers Network. Uh, a wonderful time. Uh, where can folks hear more of your story, read more of your story, connect with you? What's the best way to find Marcus Sheridan? Yeah, you can find me at the Sales Lion, L-I-O-N, like... Oslan <laughs> at the salesline.com. I'm at the salesline on Twitter. Uh, or you can just email me, Marcus at the salesline.com. I'm happy to to answer your personal questions anytime. Absolutely. And I can I can testify to that one. Marcus has been very generous with his time with me over the years, and uh, it's been a great connection. And I appreciate your time tonight too. My pleasure, Dan. This was really, really fun. Thank you so much to our guest, Marcus. Sheridan. Be sure to visit Marcus online, like he said, the saleslion.com. You can also find links in our show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, email, text to somebody, anywhere you can share with other storytellers is always helpful and much appreciated. And please consider leaving us a review as well. Thank you so much for that. Today, a great big Shout of gratitude to our partners here at the Storytellers Network. First, a quick thanks to my parents, Dick and Sharon, for taking a chance on sponsoring these first few episodes. And to our partners at Casterly and Podcast Pilot, thank you. I bow to your amazingness. Thanks so much for making the world of podcasts a better place. Jamie J and Sarah Parrish and the rest of the teams over the team over there is a bunch of terrific human beings, and you'll just be better off with them around you. Without their support, the Storytellers Network would be just a dream. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having stories stories to tell. Cheers.